So today we, we finish up. Um, we've been looking through this model that Jesus gave us. Uh, we've been talking through that. And so today we, we end in a very similar place. So I just want to just quickly, 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 by way of review, just so we're all kind of on the same page, um, walk through where we've been. Because um, I think understanding where we've been is going to help us to know where we're going today. Uh, and one thing that I've, uh, I've learned so much this time journeying through the Lord's Prayer together with all of you has just been that um, the intentionality that Jesus had as he was teaching his disciples how to pray and, and understanding the, the purpose. If we're truly going to use this as a model in our life, like seeing the way that, that Jesus includes and, and, and even the order in which he includes these aspects of, of this prayer uh, and how significant that is to, to each one of us. And so uh, he starts out with our Father in heaven. We talked about how, how we serve a God, who we have a God who says that we can call him Father. And we can be intimately, personally connected uh, and relate with him, right? And that we, we, we talked about that word Abba and just the connection, the close familial connection that we can have with God. And so that's, that's how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, to address God, our Father, but also the fact that he's in heaven. He's not, just, he's not just a God that is, is close and near to us, but he's also the God of the universe, right? And so he's in heaven. He's over all. His, his sovereign control reaches over all, and there's nothing that's outside of God's grip. And because of those two things, then our first command then is, is, is hallowed be your name. Your name is holy, and we're going we're gonna to lift up your name, God. You were set apart, and you were holy, and so we're going to lift high your name and praise your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? It's, it's about God's plan and purpose and God's will that's coming to, be for, to, to fruition in this world, not ours. On earth as it is in heaven, right? We, we were praying literally that, God, what you do in your domain, in your realm of heaven, to bring that here to where we exist, and we want that. And once we've acknowledged it's his will and his plan and his purpose, then God, Jesus gives in, in his example that, or his model, now give us, God, our daily bread. God, give us the things that we need. Provide for our needs. We have needs. And it's okay for us to ask you to provide for those needs. And so we're going to acknowledge and be dependent on you to meet those needs. Forgive us our debts. God, we realize that, that we have debts. We're, there's sin, even in our lives, even as those who have come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Like, we don't hit the mark perfectly every time. And so we ask God continually to forgive us of those times that we miss that. Not, not because salvation's on the line at that point, right? But because of our relationship, right? To, to clear the, the air, to get those sins out of the way so that our relationship with our Heavenly Father can, can be in the right place. And so in the same way, God, that you forgive us, we also ask that you allow us to be forgivers of those that have wronged us, that have sinned against us. And so help us, God, as we see the incredible forgiveness that you've shown to us, help us then to be conduits of that to other people who are going to wrong us. And then last week we talked about this idea of lead us not into temptation, Father. Keep us, protect us from falling into those temptation, of going into that direction of temptation, God. Protect us, surround us. In the moments, in the times that we do, God, when we, we are susceptible and we fall into that, we walk into that, God, deliver us. Because there's, there's points in our life where there's nothing that we can't do it ourselves. And we just call out to God to deliver us out of that. Right? And if you're like me... 
um, and, and grew up in a, in a church ex experience maybe where you said the Lord's Prayer corporately together, right? How many of you guys familiar with that, saying the Lord's Prayer together, right? Um, and, and so much so to the point of, our, uh, I think I said last week that when I was a little boy, like I, I could say it without even thinking about it. Right, I could just you can just kind of rattle it off without even thinking about it because it just kind of became repetition and, and part of your uh, kind of normal experience, right? And there was always a phrase at the end of that that we added to that, right? Um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, right? Uh, and for most of us, if we if we look at our Bibles, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, um, that phrase may or may not be in. In Matthew chapter six, verse thirteen, um, some if you uh, if you have a King James or New King James version, uh, it's probably right there in the text for you. Uh, if you're using um, something like the ESV or the NIV, um, you're probably going to have a footnote there. Um, and if you follow that footnote down, it'll tell you there it is. Um, so my, my, my copy, which is the ESV, says some manuscripts add, uh, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Um, and then some translations, I think the New American Standard, they put it in brackets, right? And so the question is like, why? What's that all about? Well, this particular line of text that, that we find in the Word of God, um, it's, it's in most of the manuscripts, but there's a few that it's not included in. And so, depending on how your translator, translation of the Bible, how they decided to handle that is whether or not they, they put that in the text. And before you freak out and you're like, oh no, can we trust the Bible, you know, um, what we have to realize is there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies. We have original or, or old, very, very old manuscripts um, of the Word of God. See, see, back when the Word of God was written, just kind of a, a quick uh, little trail down the history rabbit hole, if you will, um, they didn't have photocopy machines, and they didn't have computers or any of that sort of stuff, right? And so everything was written by hand, right? And it was copied by hand, and that's why we have so many different copies of uh, these original, what they're called manuscripts. And so uh, depending on different regions, as, as the Word of God was, was shared and was passed along, different regions have those different manuscripts. And so uh, what, what the people who, who uh, you know, work through translations, uh, stuff like that, is they will look at these manuscripts and they compare and contrast and they say, oh, okay, this, the majority of these have this in there, but, but this, okay, was this a scribal error in that when they were copying that down? Or is this really to, to help us to get to the point of uh, understanding the text? And, and this, is, this is pretty much how all of the history that we have works, right? It, it's handed down through copies of copies of copies. Um, and so, so the reason that a lot of translations may not include this or have it in there directly is that some of the oldest translations, a very few of the oldest translations, actually don't have this line in there. However, the majority do. About 98% of the manuscripts actually have this line in there, but there's some very, very old ones that don't. And so that's kind of uh, the discrepancy whether or not it's in there. The good news is there's nothing in this line of scripture uh, or this uh, in these words that uh, are not found in other places in scripture. So it's not like we're, we're saying something that's completely outside of the realm or something like that. Um, and in fact, um, our oldest source that we have uh, that references uh, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory um, comes from something that was called the Didache. And the Didache was a was a basically a worship manual for the early Christians. And that was, uh, we have that dating back to about 50 AD. So you think about 
Jesus died at about 33 AD. And so this is, this is very early. This is, you know, 20 years after Jesus died. This is already starting to be incorporated in the believers' gatherings and worship, this phrase of your kingdom, your power, and your glory. Um, and so today, where I want us to go is I want us to kind of focus on what's at the heart of, of, this, of this passage, of, of these words. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Like, what is the purpose behind that? Why was that included? What is, what, what's meant by that? And theologians and commentators have called this a doxology. You guys familiar with that phrase, doxology? Uh, maybe if you were in a certain Christian tradition, that was uh, maybe associated with a song that you would sing at a certain time. And at the church I grew up in, it was always associated with the song that you would sing right before the, the offering plates came by, right? And then you felt like you had to put money in there, even if you didn't, didn't really want to. Anybody else like that, right? And they would take the plates up and we'd sing something called the doxology, right? And this word doxology, really, um, it it's, comes from two Greek words, doxa, which means glory, and then logos, which means word. And so it's really like a word of glory or a glory word, right? And so that's what I want us to look at is, is what, what exactly, if this is part of that or this became part of the early worship style as it relates to prayer, what is this really teaching us? What is it that's at the heart of this? And I think at the heart of that is praise, right? Heart of this is praise. That as we speak with our Heavenly Father and we reflect on all that He's done and all that He does for us, his plan, not our plan, all the things we talked about a few minutes ago, as we reflect on that, that should move our hearts to a place of praise and thanksgiving. Um, one, of the, one of the guys who has written a lot on prayer is a guy named Tim Keller, one of our contemporaries that's written a lot on prayer. And, he, and he's got a fantastic book just simply called Prayer. I think it's something like, the tagline's like, finding the awe of God or, or something, something along those lines. And one of the things that, that Keller says is that there are three types of prayers that we see throughout Scripture and throughout the life of believers. There are upward prayers, which focus on praise and thanksgiving. There are inward prayers, which focus on self-examination and confession. And there are outward prayers that are prayers for supplication and intercession, asking for needs for ourselves or for somebody else. These are the three types of prayers. And what Keller says in the book, I think that is, is, is really substantial for us to understand, is he says that all-filled adoration, praise for God, right, should be the motive for every other type of prayer. It should motivate and catapult every other type of prayer. And so if we're thinking about maybe prayers of, of uh, examination and confession, right, when we can look at the holiness and the justice of God, we are much more likely to see the flaws in our own life and to confess those. When we see the greatness and the grandeur of God, right, we're a lot more to ask God for the things that we need because we know that he can supply those. When we can look at the majesty of God, we start to realize our dependent need on him. And so praise, that upward type of prayer, is absolutely necess is necessary in the life of the believer, in the prayer life of the believer. And I think what's, what's interesting, and, and, and again, I, I love how this kind of caps together. If we look at Jesus' model of prayer, the first kind of command that he gives us in this prayer is to say, Hallowed be your name. After we address God as Father who is in heaven, he says, Hallowed be your name. Right? That's the first command is to, to make God's name holy. And we talked about that, right? And it's really just praising God for who he is. 
God, because you're Father and because you are sovereign over the world, we're going to lift your name up. We're going to make your name set apart, right? There's something about you and about your name that sets you apart from the rest of creation. And so we're going to praise your name. And so this, if this actually was uh, part of Jesus' original model, or even if this was added by the church later on, right, I think this gives us a beautiful capstone to encapsulate this prayer. We start with praise and honor to God, and we end with praise and honor to God. And so I want to talk about uh, the purpose of prayer in the life of the believer for a few minutes this morning, because I think it's important that we get this. Uh, so, so I guess the question we need to ask is why? Right? Why do we need to praise God? Why, why is praise important in, in our prayer lives, in the life of the believer? Um, first, I think because prayer, or I'm sorry, praise moves us beyond just a, a head knowledge of who God is, and it engages us in a heart knowledge of who God is. Right? Um, it's, it's really easy, I think, for us to just have a head understanding of who God is, right? We understand attributes of God, and we read uh, in different places in Scripture how God is described. But to be able to experience that and to say that back to Him in prayer somehow captures our hearts in a way that just thinking uh, may not do that. And just having a simple knowledge of God, when we can praise Him for that, we actually get to experience some of those attributes that we are saying that about him. Um, it starts to, to engage our hearts. And we know this in our lives, right? Like, like those things that we truly, truly love in our life, those things that are, that are most important to us, what do we do? We talk about those things, don't we? Like we probably all have friends, or maybe we all are the friends, that are, just, uh, that are obsessed with something in their life. Right? They have a, whether it's a hobby or a passion or a person, they have something that they are just absolutely like just consumed by, right? And you know, whenever you go to talk to that person, what are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about that thing. Maybe that's their kids. Sounds like one of my wonderful kids back there. I'll tell you how great they are. Um, maybe, maybe that's, um, you know, maybe that's a hobby that they're really into, right? We probably all had the friends that are like, you ever had the friend that's really, really into a hobby and they thought that everybody else should be into that same hobby and you're just like, there's no way, bro. I am not going to be into like mountain climbing yoga with the goats or something great. There's, anyway, that's a whole other story I heard in the news this week. Doing yoga with goats, that's a thing evidently now. Um, um, huh? I'm not, no. Right? But... But whenever you're around somebody that, that just is absolutely in love with something or, or really has their heart wrapped around something, right? That's all they talk about. That's all they can talk about is that thing or that person, right? For many of us, it was that, or uh, we know that, that, that really, uh, you know, that, that early on in life, early first relationship, right? What we call, what we call puppy love. Uh, a lot of times, right? That first, that first step into a romantic relationship, right? And the person just becomes so consumed by that person that that's all they think about and talk about. And a lot of times they drop all their other friends just so they can focus on that person, right? Um, and I think that's what praise helps us to do, right? If, if God is at the center of our hearts, then we should be talking and praising him for who he is. C.S. Lewis said it this way one time. He said, when you find anything great or enthralling, you have an almost visceral, instinctive need to praise it to others and to get others to recognize it. 
When you're absolutely in love with something, there's something, there's a desire within your heart to praise that thing. To praise and to lift that thing up. And so praise helps us not just have a head knowledge, but it moves into a heart knowledge. See, praise directly helps us to develop a love for God. Augustine, the early church father, said this one time. He says, I am what I love. Right? That thing that you love is the thing that you are. That thing that you love becomes becomes who you are. And so if you have a heart and you have a desire to truly love something, that's what you become. It's who you are when you can truly love that thing. And so is that how it is for us? Do we truly have that love and desire for God? And if we do, then God should be all that we talk about and say about and think about. And so as that relates to our prayer lives then, right, then we should pray and we should lift high God's name and we should want to tell God how wonderful he is in our life. And we should return that praise back to him. You see, Augustine also hit on something else. He said uh, in, in another place in one of his writings, he said, uh, speaking of God, he said, you have made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that's probably one of my favorite lines outside of scripture. It's just that understanding that until our hearts truly find the one that they were created for, we continue to be restless. And I think if we take that a step further, when we find the God and the relationship that our hearts were created for, right? That should be all that we talk about and think about and we're motivated by. And yet, so often in my life and probably in the lives of of each one of us, even though we say God is the most important thing in the center of our lives, is he what we talk about and what we praise and we lift up? Or is it something else? And see, I think what we do a lot of times is we put a lot of really good things that God has blessed us with and given to us in God's place in our life, right? We take things that God has given to us, and these are, these are good things in and of themselves, but when they get in, in the place of God in our hearts and our lives and they start to take his priority in our lives, then they miss their purpose, right? And one of the problems with that is that if you love anything at all in this world more than God, eventually you will crush that object under the weight of your expectation, and it will eventually break your heart. Here's what I mean by that. Let's take, for example, for those of us in the room that are married, right? God's very clear in our word, in his word, that we should love our spouses, right? Anybody question that? You better not if you're married, <laughs> right? You better not. It's not going to turn out well for you. God says over and over again, love your spouse, right? Love your, love your husband, love your wife, care for them, right? And he, he goes into great detail on how we should do that. However, that spouse, no matter how incredible they are, no no matter how much of a blessing they are in your life, they were never intended to be God, to take that place of God in your life. And so what happens is we put an expectation on that spouse to fulfill something that they actually can never fulfill, right? When we put all of our weight, 
when we put all of our love and expectation on a human being or on anything outside of God, eventually it's going to crush under the weight of our expectation. And so in a marriage, right, when we spend all of our time with our spouse exclusively, when we put all of our value and our worth in that other person, at some point they're going to let us down. I hate to tell you that, right? But at some point your spouse is going to let you down. Why? Because they're a broken, flawed individual just like you are, right? But yet we put all of our expectation and our hope in that other person and they can't uphold it. But yet we need to put all of our hope and our praise and our expectation in the one that created us. The one that is going to meet and exceed every expectation that we have. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a couple of minutes um, and just discuss this fact right here. What are the things in your life that tend to block our praise of God? What are the things that we tend to put in that place uh, that, that, that God has or should have in our life? Um, what are those things that, that tend to, to keep us from being able? So maybe that's, maybe that's a person or an activity or something we put in the place. Um, maybe it's, it's, it's a distraction or something else that gets in the way of us just giving God the praise that he deserves. But let's take a little bit of time and just talk about that. Uh, and then we're going to come back together um, in a couple of minutes and we're going to talk about, so how do, we, how do we correct that? How do we create a, a habit of praise? So let's take a let's take a couple of minutes uh, and, and just kind of get some in some groups of people around you, uh, three, four, or five people, something like that around you, um, and let's just talk about that for a minute, um, and then we'll come back together uh, and walk through. Now, what do we do, you guys? We're gonna try to bring that this back together just just uh, in the next thirty seconds or so. I know I didn't give you guys a whole lot of time to talk about this. Um, let's kind of bring this back together, and I want us to to look at. How can we how can we work through that then if that if this is if this is truly an issue that we have at, at the core? And so so the question then becomes then if if we acknowledge that praise needs to happen and it should be a foundational part in the life of the believer, how do we make that happen? How do how do we make praise actually happen in our day to day lives and? And I think, just like so many other things in life, we need to make a habit of prayer. C.S. Lewis, um, again, just kind of seemed to be the guy um, this week that just kind of kept coming up with these things. Um, but he has kind of coined that phrase of the habit of praise, or make a praise habit in your life. Um, and what he says is this. He says that if we see all the good and pleasurable things in life as a channel for adoration toward God, so as we view those good things in life, we should then ask the question, what is the quality and nature of the being who created those wonderful things in our life? See, what we tend to do a lot of times, right, is, is we tend to let that, that, that being or that, that thing, that created thing, be the end-all, be-all of our praise, right? So whether it's, whether it's a person or something that we really love, right, we, we tend to just heat the praise up on that thing that was created versus the creator who actually made that thing. And so C.S. Lewis, what he says is, is, is when you make a habit of praise, it's like you're reversing that. And as you see that thing, that created thing, you ask the question, how, what kind of God, what kind of creator did it take to create something as incredible as that? 
And so as we look at, say, maybe a beautiful mountain valley, right? Like one of my favorite things to do, and I don't get to do this very often anymore, especially with seven kids in the house right now. It never gets to happen, right? But I love being able to hike up to a mountain or to an overpass or uh, an overlook and being able to just look across a valley and just seeing like the trees and the landscape. And there's just something so like surreal and incredible about that. Or maybe for you, it's like being able to go to the ocean and just seeing the incredible movements of the, of the tides as they come in and out and the sand and all of that, right? Or maybe, maybe you find uh, something like something like a delicious meal, right? Amen. Like any of you guys find beauty in like a delicious meal and get excited about? Yeah, this phase of life sometimes I, I, I wait to eat until we put all the kids to bed so I can enjoy the delicious. I can actually get to chew food and see what it tastes like, other than just kind of getting it down the throat as quickly as I can, um, so it doesn't get stolen off my plate, right? But. Uh, or, or what about a great book or maybe a piece of music, right? Is there that, is there that um, musician that really just as you listen to them, it's just like you're just so awe-inspired by the way they put notes and words together. And what we tend to do is we tend to praise those things, right? But what if instead of looking at those things, we look back to the creator? It's kind of like, like the idea of a sunbeam. You guys ever seen like on a really bright day, you see the sunbeams the, coming out from the sun? Right, and you, you can see those on a really bright, uh, sunny day, right? And what do you tend to do when you see a sunbeam? I don't know about you. What I tend to do is I tend to trace that sunbeam all the way back up to the source, right? And then I end up being blind for like 20 minutes, so that's usually not a good thing to do when you're driving, right? Um, but but when you see a sunbeam, the natural tendency is to trace that back to the source of that, which is the sun. And I think in the same way, when we see these beautiful, incredible things that, that yes, they are almost praiseworthy, we, our minds run back to the creator who gave them to us, and we give him the highest praise. And so those things that we are so grateful for, and we so love in this life, like our, our families and our spouses and, and community and people and the blessings, and, and whether that's a good meal or a, a beautiful landscape, as we look at those things to, to acknowledge the beautiful creator who gave those to us, and then to offer praise to him in that, instead of just letting the praise stay on that thing. Tim Keller goes on to say in, in another place in, in his chapter on, on prayer, he says, All prayer pursued far enough becomes, pra- becomes praise. Prayer is always reaching toward praise and will finally arrive there. The ultimate goal of all of our prayers should be to lead us to a place of praising God. Right? And so whether that's praying for a need that we have, whether that's praying for the need of somebody else, whether that's praying for God's will and plan in our life, The ultimate end of that should be to a place that we praise our Heavenly Father for who He is. We praise Him. We praise Him for that. We praise Him for who He is and what He's done in our life. And I know if you're anything like me, that sometimes doesn't happen on a regular basis, right? I kind of do the the nitty-gritty kind of get down to the details prayer a lot of times in my life, right? Because my day has been so busy and so filled up, and so I have a little bit of time at the end of my day. And so I just kind of like squeeze in like, God, let me hit you with the high points of things that I have going on, things I need you to know and I need you to, to answer, right? And, and, and for whatever reason, the idea of just praising God and just spending time just thanking him and acknowledging him and, and adoring him kind of gets pushed back to the when I get time, I'll kind of do it kind of thing. Um, and, and, and I really think we need to, to readdress that 
Um, but what I want us to do this morning is because we do have a little bit of time. You've already set aside time this morning to be here, and so I've already got you here. So what I want you to do is I want you to take a couple of minutes, and I want you to write out your own prayer of praise to God. Okay? Write out your own prayer of praise. And this can be as simple as just thinking about the incredible things that you love so much in your life and allow that to start to, to move your mind toward God and praising Him for that. It could be just specifically lifting up praises to God. Uh, and whether you want to write that uh, if you brought your prayer journal that we've, we've had um, or whether you just want to write that like on your phone and just take a note. Um, but but to, for me sometimes when I can actually write something out, um, it just seems to be a lot more meaningful than if I just kind of think it in my head sometimes. I kind of have a copy of that that's helpful. And so I want to give you guys, we're just going to take just a short amount of time, about three minutes. And I want you guys, uh, I want all of us just to sit and to write a prayer of praise now to God because he's worthy and because he deserves it. And then when we finish that, we're going to come through and we're going to look at the actual, the three parts of this doxology really quickly um, and, and, and talk about what, what exactly uh, we're praising God for uh, that we have in this doxology. Okay? If you didn't get enough time to finish that, I would encourage you to, to take that with you in, in this week as you get time and as you make time to continue to build that, that prayer of praise to God for who he is and things that he's done for us and and who he is uh in our lives um i think that is a incredible practice that we can should continue to to build toward um but i want us to to look specifically at at this doxology of praise now that we've addressed why we need to praise and how we make up habit of praise let's just look at what this actually is is saying here um, and there's three parts to this, and so naturally we'll just kind of talk through each one of those. Um, and the incredible thing is in this doxology, it's really just a reshaping or a re-saying of things that have already been brought up in the Lord's Prayer. And it's now turning those things into a praise to God. First, for yours is the kingdom, right? Yours is the kingdom. No doubt this brings to mind that, that phrase in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so what exactly are we praising God for? We're praising God that there's a kingdom coming, right? And the idea of kingdom, um, and I think the reason we, we, we miss this a lot of times, why it seems kind of impractical for us, is because we're not talking about a specific location, Right? But, but the word kingdom there has a much bigger and grander picture of one that is ruling and reigning. And so we're saying, God, God, we are praising you because your kingdom, God, you are bringing your kingdom where a place where your rule and reign is going to happen. And right now that happens in the hearts and the minds of your believers. But yet we're also praising you because we know that one day that's going to come and completely surround this world that we live in. And this could be a place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the name of Jesus, right? And so we're praising you for that, God. God, your kingdom, it's your kingdom. We believe in that and we're praising you for that. I really wanted to get into this week, I really wanted to get into this whole discussion of kingdom again because I feel like it's just so applicable to our lives, but, but I just don't think that we have the time to get into it today. But, but I've just been so encouraged by, by thinking about the idea of the kingdom and God ruling and reigning and what does that look like in the, in the life of the believer. And I think as far as that looks like in our lives, right, when, when we think about God ruling as king and reigning in our lives and in our world and, and how we're just praying and praising God for who he is and because he's such a good king, right, 
I think about the idea of surrender, right? If he's going to rule as king in our life, then, then that also requires surrender in our hearts and in our lives, right? And I think what we do a lot of times in, 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 in our own lives is that we say, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to God, right? I'm going to make a commitment to God. And on the outside, that sounds like a really good thing. Like, I'm going to commit to following God. I'm going to commit my life to following God. And that sounds like a good thing. The problem is, when we commit to something, there's still an aspect of control in commitment. Have you ever thought about it that way? So say, for example, we commit to praying for something, or we commit to studying the Bible, or to giving money, or to, to, to paying something, or maybe even for some of us we've committed, made a commitment to lose weight right, at some point in our life. We commit to a lot of things. But at the end of the day, when you commit to something, you're also making the choice whether or not you're going to do that thing, right? You still, there's still an element of control that you have when you commit to something. But that's very different than surrendering. When you surrender to something, you acknowledge that it's so much higher and greater than you are, that it's no longer about your control, and you're giving all of that up. And so if we're making praises to God and we're saying, God, God, yours is the kingdom. God, we pray for a day and a time and a place. Start here in my heart and my life, right, where, where I'm completely surrendered to your rule and your reign in my life. It's no longer about me trying to control or manipulate you to give me what I want or, or to do the things that I want to do. But it's all about a life that's surrendered to you completely. That, that should be our heartbeat as we praise God for him bringing his kingdom. That's what we should be asking for when we ask for his rule and reign in our life. I'm reminded of, of, of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, as we were studying through the Beatitudes, right? And the very first Beatitude Jesus starts with, right? He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You guys remember as we studied through that word poor in spirit, we meant... We, we said that that really means those that are spiritually bankrupt, that have come to the end of themselves and realized that at the end, we're completely bankrupt, right? And we bring nothing good to the table. And that it's all because of God and what he's done that there's any good things within us. And I think that's the same heart as we just say, God, we want to praise you for your kingdom and where you would come and rule in our lives. God, we want that. We also have to acknowledge that that also involves surrender in our hearts and our lives to be able to praise God in that way. Yours is the kingdom. But also yours is now the power as well. Kind of add to that. Yours is the power. And this kind of correlates the places in, in the Lord's Prayer where he said things like our Father who is in heaven, right? There's just implied in that idea of, of heaven being above us and God being in control. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's, what are we praising about God when we say yours is the power? We're praying that God has the power to bring his rule and reign. That thing we just praise God for, his kingdom, it's not just a God who has a kingdom, but he's also a God that has the power to bring that kingdom, right? He has the power to come and to bring that into our hearts and into our lives. He has all power, and there's nothing outside of his power and control. Listen how, listen how Job describes God. Uh, this is in Job 26. And Job is, is talking about God. And listen, just listen to the words that Job uses. Job 26. He stretches out the north over the void. And he hangs the earth on nothing. 
He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between the light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stilled the sea. By his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his winds the heavens were made fair. By his hands pierced the fleeting serpent. Behold, these are but an outskirt of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Do you get the sense, as Job is saying there? God's not just this, this God, this wimpy, impotent God that can't do this. But this is the king of the universe. And because he is, we're going to praise his name. Right, and we're gonna glory, we're gonna we're gonna praise him. We're gonna send praises to his name because not only is he bringing his rule and reign, but he's got the power and the authority to do that. One of the re- one of the reasons as I was looking at that passage in Job, that kind of gets kind of got me thinking about that was, uh, do you remember that moment where where God and in in the book of Job where God finally comes and speaks to Job? You know, Job's this whole story about all these things happening to Job, and Job doesn't really see what happens. But they're kind of toward the end of the book. God actually comes to Job and starts bringing some questions to Job, right? And in Job 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Can you imagine that scene for a minute? I think we, we, we read that and we say that, and our minds kind of move away from that. But can you imagine if God came to us in the midst of a tornado? You just think, I've never experienced a tornado. I've like seen one far off. Um, I've never experienced the tornado, but what I would imagine is that when you're face-to-face with something like that, and this was just a, a, a manifestation of God showing up. This wasn't even the full extent of his power. But when he came to Job, he came to him in the whirlwind in a tornado. Can you imagine the God of the universe coming in that way? Like, like what would the feeling be that would come over you, right? Probably fear, terror. And an absolute understanding that that God has power to do whatever he wants to do. And I think in our hearts and our lives that it's healthy as believers for us to understand that we serve. Yes, he is our father and he's good and he loves us. And as his children, there's protection in that. But he's also the God of the universe. And he's powerful. And he can do whatever he wants to do. And so as we praise his name, not only does he rule and reign, but also he has the power to do it. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And finally now, yours is also the glory. God, because you are the ruling king, and because you have the power to bring that kingdom, God, you also deserve all the glory. You deserve all the glory. And glory is kind of an interesting phrase. We don't use glory a whole lot today, do we? Like, I can't think of the last time just in regular conversation outside of a church circle where I was like, man, my glory today, it was just, it was up there right? Like, I was really feeling some glory today. Um, maybe, like, I think it's a southern thing, like, if you if you ate a really good meal, sometimes you might be like, glory! You know, you guys ever done that? You ever heard somebody say that? <laughs> maybe just me? Okay. Alright, that's weird. I'm weird. Coming out of the podcast, that's alright. Um, but we don't use this phrase glory, and I don't think we really understand it. The, 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 the Greek word, or I'm sorry, the Hebrew word here that we most associate with glory is the Hebrew word kavod. We've talked about this before, I think, from time to time. Um, it's a fun word to say. you got to say it with me. Kavod. Kavod. See, you guys feel smarter already, don't you? You feel like you're getting a little bit of glory. 
um, right? But the Hebrew word glory, right, that we don't understand really well, it, it, really, it really just means like heaviness or the weight or the value of something. Um, back in the day, back before we had like little plastic cards that we swiped to imaginary things that transferred ones and zeros to places that we can't see, people used to actually have currency. And the heavier your currency was, the more value it had, Right? So, like, gold is very heavy, and the more of that you had, the more that it was worth, the more valuable it was. Which is why a lot of times in Scripture, when it talks about God, it compares him to things like shields and these really valuable things. Um, and that's the idea, is, is, not, is not just this kind of external thing, but, but the, the, the value of God. God is va- this is worth in his glory. And to really paint this picture home, I think all of us in this well at least all of the guys in this room, and maybe some of the ladies, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to speak to that because I don't know. But I know as, as a guy and experiencing that, every guy remembers their first car. You guys remember that first car you ever had? And I would say that our first car was a picture of our glory, right? It was the, it was the manifestation of our glory, okay? So this was my first car. I don't know what my parents were thinking. This is my 86 Z28. This is not actually mine. It's the one I found on the internet. But, but I had one that looked very similar to this. It was an 86 Z28 Camaro. And this thing was my glory, right? Like as a teenage boy, as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old boy that had this vehicle, right? And when I was driving that thing around town, it was my glory on display for the world to see. Like I am something. Look at what I'm driving, right? And I could see that by all the time and the effort and the energy that I put into that thing. Right? I would spend my weekends detailing and shining the tires up on it and getting all kinds of new little gadgets and gizmos to go in there and things that I thought were cool. Why? Because when somebody rode with me, I wanted them to experience my glory, my kavod, my heaviness, right? Now, some of you guys may not have had that. Some of you guys were just like, man, my parents gave me a car and I didn't care about it. I didn't even like wash it or clean it out. Like I just drove it. But for me, like that was my kavod. That was a measure. That was a picture of my, my glory. It was my car, right? I think that's what, what we're trying to get across here with this idea is that this is a picture. Because God is king, because he has the power, he also deserves the praise and the glory and the honor because he is worth it. He's worthy. He is worth it. Look at how the psalm writer, in, uh, this is Psalm 8, how he describes God. Look at this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Be a good church song. <coughs> you have set your glory in the heavens. The psalm writer is saying, as I look into the skies and see the magnificent creation that you made, that reflects your glory. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hand and put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen. God's being encouraged today. Sheep and oxen are under your feet today, church. Right? I put them under you. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whoever passes along the pass in the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. 
See, when we understand that God is king and that he has power, that should move our hearts to giving him that glory and that praise in our lives. And then the last part of this, he gives the scope. Uh, we, we see here the scope of God's glory and reign. It's to say forever, right? Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. Right? And this is what sets God apart from everybody else, everything else. Because even in our lives, I think we can experience a kingdom and glory in that kingdom and prestige in that kingdom for a certain amount of time. And we can experience power in this life for a time. And we can experience glory in this life for a time, right? We probably all are aware that there are rich, powerful people that experience all of these for a limited amount of time, but yet for God, His is forever. Forever. Amen. Amen. Now, word amen there, I know we say it a lot of times in churches, and, and we, we don't, I, I don't know, you or I are really aware of what it means. It really just means to be firm or to, to be secure. It's an immovable truth. So as we say amen at the end, we're saying that God made this be true. It's unshakably true because it's founded on the God of the universe. And so as we look at all of this that we've talked about today, God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. I hope that moves in our hearts, right? And not just in our hearts, but also in our prayer lives. As we think and we talk with the God of the universe, that it doesn't just become about all the things that I want or I need, right? We know that those are okay, and God gives us a place to, to say those. But we, right alongside of those, we should also make sure that we also have a high level of praise to God. And so as we kind of wrap up today, I want us to, to be thinking about that question or about that in our lives, right? And maybe one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves as we uh, kind of look over that is, is which part of that do I struggle the most with? Do I struggle with acknowledging that God is ruling and reigning and that I'm giving him that place to rule and reign and surrender my life? Do I believe, do I truly believe that he has the power to do all that he says he's going to do? And then do I actually give him the glory that's due him because of those first two things? And that's one of those things in our, in our hearts and our lives that we need to be working through this week and in our, in our, in our lives together. And so what I want us to do is instead of discussing this together, um, I, just, I want us to, to think through that in our own lives. Like what part of that doxology in your life do you need to focus on this week? What part do you need to make a change Part of your prayer life needs to change so that you're acknowledging those aspects in your life this week. I want you to think about those uh, as we as we sing a final song of praise. Um, Tom Tom picked out some songs for us this week to do, and, and the the last song we're going to do today is is from the inside out, and it really is just a song of, of of praising God from the inside, right from from our hearts, and letting that pour over to every aspect of our life. And I think when we can praise and glory God and show the glory of God in our lives in this way, then we get to live out that song that we're, that we're singing. And so as we sing through that today, I want us to think about that. 
What areas of my life do I need to praise God more? How can I praise Him more? And let's actually do that, church.